Christmas season is in full swing. We are post-Thanksgiving, we are rolling toward the 25th, and it is a fantastic time of year, right? It's time of year that we look forward to as soon as we get that one morning of cool, fresh air, and man, we just pick up speed through Halloween, pick up speed through Thanksgiving, and December is finally here. That's what you love about Christmas, right? It is all about expectation. From the gifts that we're gonna get, the gifts that we're gonna give, from the parties and gatherings to the decorations, the food. Christmas is the time of year that we look forward to all year long. And at the Orchard, it's no different. We love Christmas. And this year, Christmas at the Orchard is even a little bit more special because for the first time during December, we are doing big screen, big screen Christmas. And if you are watching this online, let me just go ahead and encourage you to be in person next week. In person in December is gonna be awesome. It's stuff that we just can't do online from special experiences to movie clips where we look at some of our favorite holiday movies and the truths that they can show us without even realizing it. Matter of fact, this week in our locations, we're gonna be watching a clip from one of my favorite movies, A Christmas Story. And what I love about The Christmas Story is how Ralphie is so full of expectation. If you go back and you watch that movie and TBS is is going to do another marathon this year, but from the very opening credits of that movie, Ralphie is expecting Christmas. Like his expectation is just palpable. He says this is the one day of year that revolve that the entire kid calendar revolves around. And it's just awesome to hear adult Ralphie describe that eager anticipation that comes with the Christmas season. And then if you've ever seen the movie, you know that it is multiplied by his desire, his expectation for every little boy's ultimate dream Christmas gift the Red Ryder 200 shot range model air rifle, the one with the compass and the stock. I love that movie and it's that expectation that just kind of builds throughout the whole movie. He wants the gun, you're gonna shoot your eye out, kid. And ultimately that expectation when Santa leaves the perfect present for him on Christmas morning. Love the movie. But I think that the reason that resonates with us is because that desire, that expectation is something we feel every Christmas, but it's something that goes all the way back to the very first Christmas. So today what I want to do is look at that idea of expectation and specifically how we see it play out in the first Christmas in the character of a man we meet named Simeon. Now, I don't know if this is a familiar part of the Christmas story to you, but it's a pretty important one. So I'd ask, get your Bibles, uh, go with me to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read Simeon's story starting in verse 25. So when we read this, Luke chapter 2 is all about the Christmas story, but this happens after the birth of Jesus. We start reading, verse 25, that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. Now, so Paul's right there. That phrase, looking forward to Israel's consolation, is kind of like a weird statement for us when we talk about consolation. It's usually like a consolation prize, like you didn't win, but it's something to make you feel better. Well, Israel's consolation was a specific term used to describe the promised and coming Messiah who was going to rescue and restore the nation of Israel. So that's what he's talking about here. This guy Simeon was looking forward, we read, to Israel's consolation to the Messiah, 
and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel." And his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. See, Simeon is an extremely interesting character in the Christmas story. Maybe not one of the most famous ones, but he does embody for us that expectation of the first Christmas. Simeon's a guy that, other than this passage, we don't know a lot about. There's been a lot of speculation about who he was, what was his role, was he famous, was he a nobody? We really don't know. But what we do know about Simeon from the text is that he was looking forward to the Messiah. Other than that, though, I think there are a few things based on Simeon's story that we can probably safely assume. Number one, uh, we can assume that he was Jewish, right? He's looking forward to Israel's consolation. He knows the prophecy of the Messiah. Probably this was a devout Jewish man. He was a godly man. We know that because it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and the Holy Spirit was working in his heart to reveal these things. And we can probably assume that he was older. Now, again, there's nothing in the text that says he was older, but the fact that he was promised that he wouldn't see death until he saw the Messiah, it's probably safe to assume this meant that he was older in years and not sure he would see the Messiah before he passed away. And the one thing that we can and assume above all else is that this was a day that he'd been waiting for, that he had been waiting to see the promise of the Messiah fulfilled in his life. We don't know if it was through a time of prayer, a time of reading the scripture, maybe just out of nowhere, but the spirit reveals to Simeon that he is going to see the Messiah before he dies. And from the time that promise is made, he begins to wait. And I think the idea, at least that I have, even though, again, this is not explicit in the text, the idea that I have is that Simeon would go to the temple to wait, to go to the temple to watch. And he goes day after day, perhaps even year after year, until finally the Spirit says, no, this is the day and this is the child when he sees the baby Jesus. And he sees the baby Jesus and he takes him up in his arms and he praises God. Uh, he really begins this impromptu song of praise to God. If you have a hard copy of the scripture, you notice that those verses 29 through 32 are kind of in a different offset of type in the text. It's because this is a song. This is him singing praise to God. Matter of fact, this is the fifth of what are traditionally called the Christmas songs in scripture, uh, such as Mary's song when she praises God. This is Simeon's song, and it's the fifth and last Christmas song. And his song has uh, really got three big emphasis behind it. I think the first part of Simeon's song that we really see is this idea of fulfillment, right? Look at what he says in verse 29. He says, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. 
He was praising God because God had kept his word to Simeon. The Spirit had told him maybe years before, you're going to see the Messiah, and now he does. And you can imagine how Simeon's heart just swelled in praise and worship when this Messiah that he'd been waiting so long for finally appears. We can see Simeon as a picture of a sentinel or maybe a watchman who his master is placed on watch and charged to look for the appearance of a star. And then he announces it to the world. Well, Simeon sees this long desired star. He proclaims its rising and he asks to be relieved of his post so that he can depart in peace. Simeon praises God because God has fulfilled his promise to Simeon. But then also Simeon's song is a song of salvation, right? Simeon understands that the salvation the Messiah is bringing is not political as many were expecting, but spiritual. Look at what he says. Verse 30, For mine eyes have seen your salvation, and you've prepared it in the presence of all people. So I think the idea that Simeon is saying, Hey, look, I can die now. Because I've seen your salvation helps us understand what Simeon understood about salvation. See, one of the things we miss about the Christmas story is that when the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah, they weren't looking for sweet baby Jesus in a manger. They were looking for a political leader. They were feeling severe oppression from the Roman government who had kind of began to micromanage every aspect of their lives. And they had begun to assume that the long promised Messiah was going to come and free them politically. He was going to restore them nationally. And so the hope the Messiah brings for them was in this life and in this world. But what Simeon understood is that the salvation this Messiah was bringing was not a political salvation. He wasn't here to fix their government. He wasn't here to restore their nation. He was here to save their soul from sin. And the reason that Simeon was willing to go ahead and die was because he knew that the hope of salvation the Messiah was bringing wasn't for this life, but for the life that is to come. And I think we see that even in the word that Simeon uses, when Simeon says, you can dismiss your servant in peace, that word dismiss shows us that he was not hanging on to a worldly temporary victory. His hope was not in this life, but the life to come. Warren Wearsby, author, pushes it further when he says, the word dismiss in Greek has several meanings. And each of them tells us something more about the death of a Christian. It means to release a prisoner to untie a ship and let it set sail, to take down a tent, to unyoke a beast of burden. And then he says this, Wearsby says, God's people are not afraid of death because it only frees us from the burdens of this life and leads us into the blessings of the next life. See, I'm afraid that far too many of us have our hope set on Jesus for what he can do for us in this life. And we miss that the greatest hope of Jesus is not political, it's not national. The greatest hope of Jesus is that he frees us from the burden of sin and gives us eternal life that is still to come. The third thing that I think we see in Simeon's song is it's not just a song of fulfillment, a song of salvation. It is a song of mission. 
See, even more astounding than the idea of salvation that Simeon understood is that here in the courts of the Jewish temple, Simeon proclaims for everyone around him to hear that this salvation is not just going to be for the Jews. It's going to be for all people everywhere. He says, you have prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Now, we don't really get why this is so impactful, but in this moment, looking for a political and national Messiah, the idea that the Messiah had come for all people was inherently offensive to the Jewish nation. See, I think today, when we talk about the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, many people today get offended by its exclusivity, which means that the only way we can go to be with God is through the death of his son, Jesus. And there are people today who are offended by that. Chip, aren't all religions equal? Don't all roads lead to the same place? Isn't there a little bit of truth in all of it? The answer is no. Christianity is an exclusive religion. The gospel is an exclusive message. The only hope you have to enter heaven's gates is through a personal and saving relationship with Jesus Christ alone. Not being a good person, not believing in God, not being a generally positive response. No, specifically placing your trust in Jesus. And many people have problems with the exclusivity of that. But what's so ironic is that the problem in the first Christmas was not the exclusivity of Jesus, but the inclusivity of Jesus. See, people were offended because he said, yes, you've got to come to me, but this offer is open for anyone who comes to me. Doesn't matter where you were born. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner or a saint. If you come to me, Anyone who comes to me can come to the Father. And so while today the exclusivity of the gospel offends many, that first Christmas it was the inclusivity of the gospel that offended many. And so here we have Jesus again setting uh, expectations on their head, right? This was truly the light of the entire world. And so when I look at Simeon, and just that expectation of his life that was fulfilled in this moment, I see a lot of connections for us today. See, like Simeon, I think we are also waiting in eager anticipation for the appearing of the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Lord's promise. Simeon was waiting for that first coming, but you and I today are waiting for that second coming where he's going to come again, not as a sacrificial lamb, not as a meek and mild baby, but he's going to come again as a conquering king and set right all the wrongs and evils of this world. And so we look forward with expectation to that. But even beyond that, what I want to kind of narrow down on today is that we should right now, each day, every moment, be waiting in eager expectation for Jesus to move and work in our lives right now, fulfilling his promises to us even today. And I think that is really counterintuitive for a lot of Christians, maybe even you who are watching this now. You don't have any expectations for Jesus in your life now. 
Like you hope the next election turns out right, much like the Jews in Simeon's day. You hope that one day Jesus will come again and take you to heaven. But when I say expectations for your life here and now, you don't really know what to do with that. So what are some of those expectations that we should have of Jesus in our lives today, this moment? I think just really quickly off the top of my head, there's four. Number one, I think that we have the promise that Jesus said he's going to keep us when we come to him. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 37, everyone the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Why is that important? Because when you feel like you failed, when you have fallen on your face, when you've blown it, when you feel unworthy and uh, impossible to love, Jesus promises that if you'll just come to him, you will never be turned away. You can expect that he's going to keep you. Second promise is that he promises to use us when we follow him. Jesus says this, Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fish for men. So why is that important? Because so many times in our life, so many times throughout our day, we feel like we have nothing that we can give for the kingdom, nothing that we can do for Jesus. And yet he promises that if we follow him, he will make us useful. So we can expect to be used by God third promise is the promise to give us rest when we're weary. Look at what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think this is so important because when we are tired, when we are overwhelmed, and man, you're going to feel that this Christmas season if you haven't already. When you feel that, instead of thinking, oh, I got to take care of myself, I got to learn to say no more, I got to pull back, those aren't bad things. But instead of immediately going there, you can expect that Jesus will provide you the rest you need for your soul. It's not something you have to do. Jesus says, I will give you rest. And then the last promise, just thinking, is the promise to guide us when we need help. Jesus says in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. When we are lost, when we are drifting, when the compass of our life is spinning out of control, when we are weak, when we are faltering, when life is hard, Jesus promises that the helper, the Holy Spirit, will guide and empower us every step along the way. So those are things that every single day, not just sometime in the future, those are things that every single day we can expect Jesus to do in our lives. He will keep us. He will use us. He will give us rest and he will give us direction. We can expect that of him. So let me ask you this. What are you expecting God to do in your life this Christmas season? What are you looking for God to do? What places are you looking for God to work? I think if we're being honest, the answer is probably, well, I'm not expecting anything. Now, to be clear, maybe you have the wrong expectations, and, and next week we're going to talk about what happens when we're let down. But for right now, maybe you're realizing, man, I just don't know if I've ever expected God to do anything in my life. 
And maybe the reason you've never expected God to do anything in your life is because you've never seen God do anything in your life. And the reason you've never seen God do anything in your life is because, quite honestly, you've never had that personal relationship with Him as Savior. You've come to church. You've tried to be a good person. That's why you're watching this right now. But there's never been the moment where you were utterly convicted of your sin and shortcomings. You realized your need for a Savior to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And there's never been that moment where you cried out to Jesus and just said, Jesus, save me. Maybe today, that's what you need to do. Maybe the expectation of Jesus that you need more than anything else is the expectation that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Maybe today, the reason that you have no expectations is because you've never known Jesus. And so right now, we have people who are waiting here who would love to talk with you, who would love to pray with you about how you can know for sure that Jesus is your Savior and that you have a hope for the life to come. And so reach out to us. Hit the Ask for Prayer button. Drop us a comment. Send us a direct message, whatever you need to do. But my hope and my prayer is that right now in this moment, you would cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. And we want to come alongside you and help you with the next steps after that. But for right now, let me pray for you. God, I thank you for the time that you've given us to look to your word. I thank you for the expectation that we can have of you in our lives even today. And so, God, I pray right now for people who are realizing for the first time that they have no expectations of you because they've never seen anything from you and they've never seen anything from you because they've never truly known you. God, I pray today that you would open their eyes to their lostness and that they would cry out from a sincere heart seeking a forgiveness of sins, putting their faith in Jesus. God, I pray that you'd give them the courage and the follow-through to reach out, to talk to someone, to ask for help, and that you would equip us to come alongside and help them find a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.